called Behold, I Do a New Thing. And we have been endeavoring to look at uh, 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 the new things that God is doing in our lives and doing in Scripture. And the, the general prophetic sense that we have had is that God is stirring something new in our hearts and stirring something new in our lives, stirring new giftings and new anointings and new elements that maybe our family has never seen before, your family maybe has never seen before. How many here at home and in the room would say, I've been sensing God shifting and doing something new in my own heart. Sometimes it's just a matter of stirring uh, emotions and stirring a desire for his things of his kingdom. He starts there, but for many of us, I know God has initiated new stuff around us. And I, I love the phrase this comes out of, behold, I do a new thing. What comforting words that our hearts can have that it does not matter how dead something is, he can make it new. That marriage is not so dead that he can't reach down inside of it and pull up loving affection. That prodigal's not so far away that he can't grab hold of him or her by the scruff of her neck and bring him or her back into it. That doctor's report is not so bad that he can't breathe life into it because this is what he does. It does a new thing. He's so good at doing new stuff, he can take an old guy, or excuse me, a dead guy, throw that dead guy on top of another dead guy's bones, Elisha, and cause new life to come from him. This is what he does. If you are, are ready to receive the new things of God, say amen. See, we have a kind of God that exudes, does, when he speaks, new stuff happens. When he breathes, new things take place no matter how dead they are. And I, my own heart has had comfort in this sentiment that God is stirring new things and it doesn't matter what and how I've got it, can be made new. But just because he does new things, brings new seasons, establishes new order, doesn't mean that it's void of pushback from the old stuff. That old stuff, that old cycle of behavior, those old friendships, those old spaces, those old neighborhoods, oh, they, they got something to say about your new. They got something to say about you getting out of the city block, being the first one out of your neighborhood. Then, 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 then them old streets got something to say. Them old cycles of behavior, they got something to say about you stepping into a new place of freedom. You're the first person to, from your family to get to school. Every other family member who has never been able to get to school, they got something to say about the new thing that you are doing in that place. That new family line that you are forging and bringing to pass, all of the old things behind it, they got something to say about your new. And if we're not careful, what happens is God begins to stir, do something new in our hearts and the old is right there to meet us and try to pull us back in fact sometimes the old staying out of the old is harder than walking in the new i mean just try to tell a toddler mostly my toddler that your new idea is better than her old one and you will get a right cross that'll black and blues your right eye as I began praying for this weekend, 
phrase I just kept hearing over and over again in my heart was this, look for the new, but prepare for the pushback. Look for the new, but prepare for the pushback. I'm talking about a biblical kind of pushback. Now, let's be clear, some of the pushback that we get in our life is just because we a bit stupid, a bit foolish, a bit stubborn, a bit ambitious, a bit out of God's timing, and we get some pushback because we just don't want to listen to anybody or anything. I'm not talking about that kind of pushback. I'm talking about the kind of pushback that comes when new things break loose of old things. The picture I got as I was praying was this picture of this caterpillar who, as you can imagine, you know the story of caterpillars. They, they, they spin themselves, this chrysalis thing. I think that's the technical term, Pastor Melvin. And inside of it, a new thing takes place. They turn from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And this picture I saw was this caterpillar turning into a butterfly. God had done a new thing in their midst. And this butterfly had broken loose. And as soon as it came out of the chrysalis, a a windstorm had come to it. Now, a caterpillar doesn't fly. It crawls. It doesn't have the same kind of wind patterns around it. And all of a sudden, this butterfly was up into different wind patterns. And it was unexpectedly met with pushback of wind. And it was pushing back inside of the chrysalis. And it got so bad that the butterfly even wanted to get back inside of the chrysalis. And my sense is that the Lord, over even these short five weeks, has begun to do some new things in our homes and our lives. And some of us are now meeting, are, 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 are endeavoring to deal with the pushback that the new thing has now brought to us. And I hear the Lord say, yes, I'm doing a new thing. Yes, can you perceive it, but may you also prepare for the battle that lay ahead. If we're going to walk out, if we're going to remain established in the new thing that God has for us, we must do more than just perceive it. We do more than just receive it. We must stay planted in it and endure the battles that want us to push us back inside of the chrysalis. And how we deal with those battles how we respond to them, I think determines how much of the fullness of the new we get. Because that butterfly can still be the new butterfly in the chrysalis. It just not as experiencing the full new that it could have. Once to consider something, God promises Israel in the Old Testament a new land to be a new people with a new kingdom but he never says it's going to come without some battles. In fact, when he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, maybe this is what he has in mind. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. I'm giving you a new land. I'm bringing you into a new place. I'm I'm ushering you into a new season of a people and a kingdom, but it's going to come with some battles. And, you know, Israel never took all of the land they could have had in part because they couldn't handle the battles that were in front of them. It's not just Israel, but it's Jesus himself. He endured the battles of the new. 
He came to usher in a new way of thinking and feeling and living and seeing and enacting and all of the old systems and old ways of seeing and old ways of understanding and religious order of the day fought him tooth and nail for the new thing that he was bringing. In fact, in, in fact the very pushback, rejection, and physical violence that Jesus allowed for him to come upon his own self was actually the defining marker that he was the Messiah. Isaiah would write, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, we despised and esteemed him not. The conflict that marked Jesus' life of the new was the very prophetic marker that he was, in fact, bringing the new. So we're going to look this morning in our brief time remaining at a, at a, a moment of conflict in Jesus' life as he talks about the battles that are confronted with new. If you're taking notes, write this down. New wineskins for new battles. New wineskins for new battles. If we're going to face the new thing, if we're going to walk in the new wine that God has for us, we've got to operate with the new wineskin and new strategies that he has in our lives. Our text for today is Matthew chapter 9. Let me give us some really fast context to this. Jesus has come, Matthew chapter 4, uh, prior to this moment, he's lived 30 years uh, in hiding, essentially, if you will, or in secret, and, and, and now he's ushered into his place of ministry, he gets baptized, he endures uh, 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 he, he, he endures temptation. And then it says in Matthew 4, he showed up saying, behold, now the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he begins talking about what this new kingdom looks like. We spent about 15 weeks on this earlier in the year. Then by the time we get to Matthew 9, we see Jesus doing something that the old heads the old, not by old heads, I mean age-old heads, I mean by the old religious heads, didn't like. And Jesus came saying, there's a new kingdom, and it's offered to everybody. And he began to eat with tax collectors and men and women and prostitutions and sinners and things. And all of the old religious folk did not like the fact that the new thing God was doing was offering it to people that they didn't want to be able to have it offered to. And in Matthew 9, he really sticks it to him and he says, I'm going to call one of these tax collectors, the people who you hate, into my closest fold, for they would be my disciple. And he calls Matthew as a disciple and the Pharisees just go after him. And now we land in verse 14 at this moment of battle. Verse 14, Matthew chapter 9. Are you with me? Then the disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? We'll come back to this. But your disciples did not fast. So the disciples of John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, they link up with the Pharisees and say, why ain't you fasting? Now, they're a bit passive aggressive with this. They don't actually come after Jesus. They come after Jesus' disciples in order to come after Jesus. Anybody got a passive aggressive folk in your life? Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment 
for the patch tears away from that garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins, for if it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. Three battles of the new thing that we see in this text is number one, you have the battle of people. Turn to somebody on your right and say, no, just kidding, don't do that. Not going to go well for you. Other people might be the biggest aid or the biggest hindrance in you walking out your new thing. The reality is, is every time God initiates something new in your life, every relationship is either adjusted or disrupted. He brings a new thing in your life, in your business. Your coworkers have never had you as, a, as that level of manager that you are. They never had you as that kind of supervisor. All that is different. All of a sudden, now you got a new relationship. All your single friends, they never had you in that kind of relationship before. Disrupted. You got a new educational track. You in a new degree. You are now some other place. Everybody around you, they ain't never seen you as a student like that before. You have broken loose of an addiction and a cycle that you have been in, and your old friends only knew you as addicted to you, but now you free you and all of a sudden all them relationships now have to recalibrate to the new thing God is doing in you and it's amazing how sometimes the old relationships like you and the old rather than you and the new they're more comfortable you being bound up in that addiction because they know what to deal with rather than the free version of you that is not bound by that thing sometimes some folk just will not understand the new thing that's emerging in your heart. Your fellow Bible study folk ain't never seen that new gift of revelation in your life, and now they're a bit jealous. Maybe even a spouse or a coworker or family member, a parent, has never seen this version of new in you. The question becomes. How and what will we walk out relationships that either spur the new on or confront the new that happens? In Matthew 9, verse 14 here, we see an interesting interplay of antagonists in Jesus' life. Now, first off, it says here that the Pharisees were asking, how come we fast and you don't? Now, the Pharisees were known enemies, known antagonists to Jesus' life. Read the Gospels. They are after him for earthing. He does one good thing, they hate it. He does one different thing, they don't like it. And let's be clear, you're going to have some enemies that you knew were going to be your enemies when you come into a new place. Don't be shocked. Come on, you know there are some folks that don't like anything you do in your life. You change the inside of paint wall on your bathroom and they don't like it. They don't got to look at it and they don't like it. But it's okay. Take heart. My Bible says in Psalms 23 that when my enemies gather, it means that there is a banquet table for me to eat at. So you got some enemies rolling up on you. Go ahead, pull your fork and your spoon out. Pull your knife. Filet mignon is ready to be served to your life. It's okay. But an interesting thing happens here. John the Baptist comes after Jesus. The same one that looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How come you ain't on my side now? And in a really odd sequence of events, John the Baptist sides with the Pharisees who he also called a brood of vipers. 
This is like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker getting together. Where are my Star Wars folks at? This is like Yoda and the Emperor. Nothing? It's okay. You'll get saved later. Sometimes it's not the known antagonists. It's the unknown enemies that we didn't see coming to throw us off. Biggest battle of people sometimes ain't from the ones who we thought. It's the ones who we thought would be excited for us, who would celebrate us, who would join with us, who would say, I'm praying with you, not give you the side eye when the new thing happens. You see, there's a relationship disruption that takes place in the new. And what my sense is to give to some of us encouragement, it's okay Keep walking. It's okay. Keep walking. It's okay. Keep walking. Their acceptance of your new does not invalidate your new. Their misunderstanding of your new doesn't invalidate what God is doing in your life. Look, everybody around Noah didn't understand a flood. But they sure did 100 years later when the rains came. And it took a, a, a willingness to stay put for a hundred years, hammering an ark together for something that they didn't even know, but Noah knew, knew was coming. And just because everybody around them didn't know it, didn't mean that Noah had to stop hammering. And some of us have some new things emerging, and you've got some relationships that you thought would be behind you, and now are not. In fact, they're standing in front of you. And at worst, they're passive-aggressive towards you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. This is why it's so important to be rooted and grounded in not just a biblical community, but a rightly healthy prophetic biblical community who can ground you in, yes, the biblical things, who can speak truth in those moments, but also can have enough prophetic understanding to perceive when the new thing is happening. And sometimes in the face of other folk around us, we need that friend, that prayer partner, that person saying, I perceive the same thing. Keep going, keep going. I know your husband didn't understand it. I know that your, 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 your sons and daughters don't understand it. I know that neighbor don't like it. But just keep going. Just keep pushing. Just keep walking into the new. Now what do we do with these antagonists, known and unknown? We're nice to them. We invite them into the new. We, we pray for them to come with us into the new. We just don't let them keep us out of the new. Their comfortability of you in the old is never worth me shying back from the new thing that he has. Some of you are called a pioneer for the first time. Some things in your family. Nobody ever in your family line gone to school. Some of you are pioneered on social dynamics and ethnic dynamics to pioneer some things in your job. And nobody ever done that before. But you're the tip of the spear. And you're going to disrupt some known things. Just keep going. Just keep going. And if you would perceive rightly the new thing. And not be disrupted by the people. The new thing that he has can come in its fullness. 
Pastor Kevin has been in, Pastor Dan has been this in my life. Every time something new emerges and somebody and something happens, he just, both of them so often will come alongside and give an encouraging sentiment. Pastor Melvin as well. So many of our staff have been so exceptional in this journey of transition for me. When I get, when I, when I get left and right of things, not that they are the antagonists, they're the ones helping me. I mean, sometimes Melvin is the antagonist, but, you know, we just go out back, we fight. Kiss and make up. Don't worry, Denise. It's only on the cheek. The first thing is people. We must deal with the people, the battle of the people. But there's a second battle, and it's not just people. It's our own expectations. Have you figured out that he never does what he said he's going to do it the way you think he's going to do it? Inevitably, he wraps the new thing in an unexpected tortilla shell. Thinking about food, Pastor Melvin. You see, if we're going to walk into the new thing, we've got to be open and pliable for how the new thing will take place. So often I think we shrink back because it just disrupts how we thought this would go. All right, you're going to, give me, you're going to make me a father of many nations, but you're only going to do it through one kid? How's that work? And we old, Abraham and Sarah. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna give us an entire nation, but right now we're an enslaved people. How's that gonna work? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna lead us into a, a land flowing of milk and honey, but we the small ones amidst all of the tribes. How, how, how's that gonna happen? Oh, I see. You're going to God yourself are gonna become a a baby without the actual physical process of how, how how's the new gonna work? And every time he brings the new to us apart from our expected manner. In verse 15, Jesus does something interesting here in dealing with, with the new battle. Now, in 14, the, the, the John the Baptist disciples and the Pharisees come after him. And Jesus here in verse 15, I think, as I see it, he, he no longer is wasting time with the people who don't get it. And he turns to his disciples. Can I, can I also say this to you? Stop wasting your breath and effort on people who will never understand the new thing. You can ignore that text message. It's okay. So he turns from the Pharisees and John the Baptist, and he turns to the disciples, and he begins speaking to them about the new battle of unexpected things coming to them. And he uses a wedding, a Jewish wedding, to get there. Verse 15, and Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? For the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then when that has transpired, they will fast. Now Jesus here is pulling on this Jewish tradition where this takes place, where the bride and groom would get married, and unlike our gig where the very next morning you get on a plane or a boat or you go somewhere, they would actually stay in the house for a full week. And the bridal party, if you will, would all hang out with them at the house, enjoying the immense joy and love and festivities of the wedding. Now, that feels like a bit of a cramped house for a honeymoon for me. But that's what they did. In fact, those who would remain in this house, the best Greek rendering of this text is actually children of the bride chamber. But at some point, it was understood the bride and groom would leave. But Jesus here is 
He's saying to his disciples, this new thing that's coming is not going to happen like you think because we ain't going to have a week together. And I'm not just going away. The word that he uses here is I'm being taken away from you. Not taken away in terms that Jesus is having something happen outside of what he wants. I think it's taken away to evoke the emotions that they're going to feel that he was taken away from them. In fact, this word taken, the only time it's used in all the scriptures in Matthew, Mark, and Luke when it's used in this exact moment of Jesus speaking to them about leaving them. You see, the disciples, no matter how many times they were told, they did not get that he was going to die. That element of the new king coming, of the new Messiah that would save them, was going to be unexpected for them because he would not be the political king to rout out the Romans that they wanted. He would die. And we know that they were so unexpected because at the moment he's on the cross, it's only a bunch of females. There ain't none of these strong, strong, strapping men. They all hiding. You said that sounds right. <laughs> but it was more than just Jesus' death. It was also his ascension. That once he did come up from the grave, there still was the sense he would be with them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I need you to understand this. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And the new, the new thing I'm doing is not me walking amongst you. It's my spirit inside of you. And unless I go away, this ain't going to happen. And they still didn't get it. You see, you see, they nearly missed their moment of encounter because their expectations of the new thing were broken. He was going to do the new thing, not in the manner that they thought. So he's saying, I'm going to be taken away. I'm going to be removed from you and how you thought. I love this. In Acts chapter 1, before Jesus takes off, he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken away from you. I'm going to go up to my father, and you are going to have a whole bunch of unexpected things. I'm not going to establish a political kingdom. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you, and I'm going to send you to all kinds of people whom you don't want to go to. And he says, so leave here and go to Jerusalem and wait. And scripture says they all just stood there looking. James is like, Bartholomew, you think he's coming back? And John is like, is that his shoe? Matthew's like, no, that's a bird, man. Watch out. And it takes two angels to come to them and say, stop expecting him to come back right now. He isn't. Get to doing what he said. And sometimes... How he brings the new breaks the expectation of how we think he's going to bring the new. And we are standing on olives looking up for him to come when the new thing is right over here. But it just takes us to break how we thought it would go. Maybe he did bring provision for the new thing. It just happened in a way you didn't think it would. Maybe you thought he would expand your ministry, expand your business one way, and it happened another. Can you go with it? Maybe he did, in fact, bring a relationship. It just didn't happen how you thought that relationship would come. And it's caught you off guard. Can you go with it? Maybe he did bring the prodigal home. It just happened in a manner that you didn't think it would happen. Can you go with it? Maybe he did launch you into a new set of giftings. It just wasn't the giftings that you thought. It was a different set of giftings. Can you go with it? See, where is the expected thing actually the hindrance of the new thing? 
Where must we be willing to put some divine, flexible yoga pants on? Because those things stretch every way you need them to. And go with where he has you. You see, our divine pliability is the measure by which we can receive the new. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. It's the bay attitude that Jesus said that Matthew didn't write down. And I wonder, where do you need to be more flexible? Where do you need to place, as we're just saying, maybe your expectation and your rigidity of how you want this to happen is the idol on your life that you need to say, do it the way you want. I say yes to not just the what, I say yes to the how. And when every door is closing in your face for the how, the question becomes, where is the door you didn't expect it to be? Can you walk through that door? Lastly, if it's not people, it's not our sense of expectations. Jesus does something even grander here for the battle. And it's living in a life of grace. It is amazing to me how my human flesh, how my stubbornness fights against a life in the law of grace. Jesus' real battle here in Matthew 9 is not about fasting, though we will talk about that here in a second. It's about living through a reality of a new kingdom that's filled with grace. You'd think that our hearts would finally breathe in deep the life of grace, and yet maybe woven into our broken humanity this works, and I'm going to grit my teeth and furrow my brow and I'm going to get myself into the new. Jesus here is ushering in a new kingdom that is anchored not in your ability to do something for him, but in reality of being with him. No longer do we strive under the burden of law or self-performance, but it's a new covenant, one that is anchored, began, sustained and finished in his work and his work alone. You see, to the Jew, the religious life was marked by three activities, giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Now, the, now that's deeply spiritual and deeply right. We are called to minister and give financially to the, to the economically challenged and disenfranchised people. We are called to stand and pray, and we are called to fast. But the question is not do we do them, the question is how we do them. And the how we do them mostly determines if we, in fact, do them. And in kind of a unique, perfect storm, when I think about my life, the more I engage the place of word, of worship, of fasting, confession, all these things, it's fuel for my soul to help me deal with the people and expectations that are not met. 
And when I'm not over here engaging in these places, I am really susceptible to shrinking back from the new and not engaging the people in the unexpected things. But if I will come to the new, to, to, the, to, the, to these things, prayer, word, fasting things, in a right manner, and my soul is with him, and thus my soul expands, and I'm in a place of, of, of deep communion with him, all of a sudden now, when I reach those things, now I can deal with them rightly. My heart is settled to deal with the person. My heart is settled to deal with the unexpected thing. So here Jesus says, that when you fast and when you engage in this new life in me, the wine, that's what it is, an intimacy with God, covenant with him, right? Hearken towards the, the Eucharist table where he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, right? Of intimacy with me, wine, the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you, when you want to drink of this, this is what you're invited into, you must drink of it right. For if you try and put new covenantal grace-filled life into old systems of performance, not only do you break the old systems of performance, you lose the wine too. So this is how this gets translated. I come to pray when I need something. And all of a sudden I find out I don't have fuel to keep praying. I come to the word not to be with him, but to learn something. And all of a sudden come to find out information isn't life-giving. I come to the place of fasting to lay hold of something rather than something simply to be with someone. And I wonder why I struggle with fasting. Jesus here hearkens to the sentiment of a, a, a longing and a desiring for the one who is taken from them. And so that fasting and word and worship and prayer and community and confession become portals for me to be with him. And the more I do it, the more I encounter him. And the more I encounter him, the more I will do it. And the more my heart is set to deal with the John the Baptist and the Pharisees. But when I don't, I, I miss my moment. What actually happens is I break prayer, I break fasting, I break word, I break worship, and I turn it into something he never meant it to be. Then, not only do I miss out on that, I miss out on the one who would give me the wine itself. And I blame him for falling short of a covenant that I could never earn to begin with. You see, this new life of grace is meant to be the way we interact with everything and everyone. No more performance. Your, the amount of fasting and prayer and word and worship you do does not make you more righteous or holy. And it doesn't lead you to a place where you get more from him. What it does is it puts you in position like a wineskin, like a strategy to hold him, to be with him. The more that happens, the more I engage it, the more I drink of it, the more now those battles of the enemies and the unexpectedness and the other things don't quite have the same effect on my life. My feeling is this morning is there some of us 
in a place of battle for some of these new things. The disciplines, these prayer, word, fasting, this is going to be the fuel. This is going to be the battle plan to engage the pushback of the old on your new. And my sense is the Lord wants to breathe a new level of engagement in these places in order to fight the battle that's over here. This past week, my mom and dad are watching at home. We had some hard medical stuff take place. And I find, I mean, I've said this before, right? That I'm the worst faster on the planet. Like legit, if you think you're bad, you're not as bad as me. And I find that I run to the place of fasting in crisis, not of the rhythm of being with him. And why am I so shocked that I'm so horrible at fasting? Because it wasn't meant to be a moment of crisis. And this week, I'm going to fast. I'm going to get after this thing. <laughs> Just like all my other attempts, horrid. So bad now that I don't even tell folk when I fast. I don't even tell my own wife when I fast because she's going to laugh at me when I don't fast. <laughs> And there's a cycle of shame of the fact that I can't fast. So if I tell her that I am fasting and don't fast, I feel horrible for not fasting. So what do I do? I try to do it on my own accord. Do my own strength. Yeah, that, 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 that's not going to work. I wake up in the morning, my son's making some avocado toast. I'll give me some of that. Oh, no, okay, I'm going to fast over lunchtime. And Pastor Melvin or Pastor Tina or somebody will be like, hey, let's go to lunch. Oh, where, where are we going? Come on, I'm on that. Son's got a soccer soccer practice. I am walking laps for an hour and a half at the soccer complex. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast. I get home, and my wife has a hot ch chicken pot pie. And that, that food is in my mouth before I remembered I was supposed to fast. True story. This week. Yesterday. I planned to fast over the weekend. The only, the only reason why I haven't I have not eaten this morning is because my wife is gone. I had no one to make me food. Yeah. Here's what, I, here's what I want to do. One, I want to release you from guilt. This is not a game of performance. This is an invitation to intimacy. These things are going to lead us to deal with the war in front of us for the new. Brother, if you can come, if I can get a keyboard from somebody, please. Here's what I'd like us to do before we land the plane. If you're online, if you're in the room, If in the last six to eight weeks, six to eight weeks, not like last year, not like the month of prayer January, like in the last six to eight weeks, you have, you have wanted to make a concerted effort to either pray more, engage the word more, to worship more, to fast more, some one of the, that grouping of stuff, and you have been on the struggle bus to do it, like me, yesterday. I want to pray for a special grace to engage it for the new. Right now, would you stand up on your feet right now? And online, let us know if it's you. Come on. Everybody's standing up. Okay. Pastor Mel, we could start like a Fasting Eaters Anonymous group. Would you come up your hands?
Father, here, here we are. We are just jacked up weak folk who need the wind of your spirit. And we say we want the new wine. And we say we want the new wineskins. Help us to drink it right. There is new in front of us. There is a battle of expectations and people and things. And we know if we're going to get there, we've got to drink deep of the new wine. But we need a life of grace to get there. So I pray over this, your people, a grace to engage the word, a grace to engage fasting, a grace to engage prayer and confession and community in a manner that they've never had before. Not out of earning something, but a release of communion with you that in every area, grace becomes the life that we live in. Might we find ourselves drawn into the place, the disciplines, to commune, to walk, to gain inner strength for the outward battle that the new would come to us. In your name we pray. If you receive that, would you say amen? Amen.